and welcome to the Learning from Legends show with me, Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. Today's legend is cardiologist and radio TV medico expert, Dr. Ross Walker, who is a media star in his own right, but he thinks the media is giving AstraZeneca a bad rap. And he's not too keen on what some of the state's chief medical officers are saying to the general public. He makes the case for a more intelligent look at the actual threat from AstraZeneca and highlights a lot of other threats to our lives and limbs that the media chooses to ignore that arguably are more of a worry than poor old AstraZeneca. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Dr. Ross Walker. Good to hear and see you, Ross. Lovely to talk to you, Pete. Right, now, I, I needed to talk to you because, you know, the community is worried and is scared of all the information out there uh, involving AstraZeneca in particular. Yep. Uh, and just as a layman, I would say that if information about the potential for clots, if they hadn't have uh, come out, uh, I would say a big chunk of Australians would already be vaccinated. Yep, totally. Uh, and I think there is a fear factor out there, Ross. So what I want to get, get down to the bottom of with you is, first of all, how dangerous is AstraZeneca in terms of um, creating clots in anyone? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, firstly, can I just step back a little bit and say that I'm absolutely fed up with the inflammatory language used around everything to do with COVID. We're, we're put into a situation of fear where people are using stupid comments like the deadly virus. It's, it's highly contagious. This incredible surge in cases. No, there's not. And no, it's not. We've had two deaths from COVID one in a 91-year-old unvaccinated woman whose relatives had the COVID and infected her with it. And yet, and over the last 24 hours, there's been a death of a man in his 70s from Bondi. I have no details, but I, I presume the man is not vaccinated and probably had comorbid conditions. So we're talking about two, two deaths in well over 600 cases hardly a deadly virus when you compare that to, say, a very bad dose of influenza, and certainly nothing compared to the COVID that we saw last year. So I'm, I'm just sick and tired of the, the every night on the news, you'll have someone talking about the deadly surge in cases. It isn't. And in fact, you think about this 5 million people in this city, we really haven't had a huge amount of cases with all of the so-called exposure sites people have been to. We just are not seeing the sort of case numbers we should be seeing. And today there's been a welcome drop in the number. And the number in the community on Saturday was 37. On Sunday was 34. Yesterday was 33. Today it's 21 out of 5 million people. Let's stop the panic. Now let's move on to the vaccines. It's the same nonsense. Okay. So, so can, I, can, I hold, can I hold you up for a minute? Because I won't yeah. go to the vaccines, but you brought up some really good issues. Um, someone who um, I know very well um, has a daughter who's a, a nurse in a, an ICU unit treating people with COVID. Yeah. yeah. And this uh, woman is quite smart. Uh, but she said to me last night, uh, this is actually... This strain, this Delta strain, is more dangerous than the original one, which wasn't something I, I thought was true. So is the Delta strain, I thought the Delta strain was more um, 
Um, contagious. Contagious, but less dangerous. Is that true, Ross? That, that's what I believe the evidence is showing. Or the other possibility is because the sicker, older, more vulnerable people have been vaccinated, they're not getting the condition. And so it's the younger people who are getting it. And because they're younger, they have better immune systems, so they're fighting the, the virus better. So the, de the Delta strain has not been proven in this country to be any more dangerous than the previous strains. In fact, I suspect the UK strain, the South African strain, and the Brazilian strain are probably more deadly than the Delta strain. And I, I suspect the Delta strain is probably as bad in terms of its ability to cause death as the original Wuhan strain. But, but what, what I'm saying here is that we are, when you look at the actual raw case numbers, I think there's probably around 60, 70 people in intensive care, or, or sorry, in hospital, probably about 20, 25 people in intensive care out of a total of, I, I think now probably somewhere between 650 to 70 cases. I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but it's still not huge. It was 20% of people before in the initial virus who got very, very sick from, from the initial virus, not this, this new strain. So, no, I don't agree with that, nurse. I don't think she's right. And also, she's seeing the skewed population of people who have become sick from this. But the bottom line with all this, it's saying COVID is a serious illness regardless, and it certainly needs to be managed. And the best management is not to get it in the first place, and that's a thing called vaccination. Okay. Yeah. By the way, I should point out, the nurse didn't say that. Her mother said that her mother may well listen to the ABC too often, and that's where she might have got. Well, that's anybody's problem, but anyway, that, yeah, it, could that be, is, it could be it. Ross, and I'm yeah, being yeah. facetious there, of course. Yeah, as, as am I. That's a distinct possibility. Yeah, she should listen to 2GB more often. Of course. Now, now another uh, story out there, which I don't know whether it's true or not, is that if young people get this. This could ruin them for life. This is a this is a, a an infection that could ruin a young person's life forever. Is that true? Well, how does anyone know? The thing's only been around for eighteen months. Hmm. What we do know is that there is a significant proportion of people who get long COVID. Now, what is long COVID? That's when you continue to have viral-like symptoms or organ-related symptoms at least a month after you've allegedly recovered from COVID in the first place. And there are things like ongoing fever, incredible fatigue, uh, a cough, shortness of breath and brain fog. And they're the symptoms of long COVID. And yes, some people have continued to show manifestations of that syndrome 12 months after, after the development of the infection. And have a guess what the treatment for long COVID is, Peter? A vaccination. So we have to keep talking about the vital importance of vaccinations. And let me put that into perspective. So moving into the segue onto the clotting story with AstraZeneca. This is another thing that really irritates me. And as you know, I don't have strong opinions about anything, but I'll just make an exception. For not this. easily irritated. Yeah. Not. No, no. <laughs> so, so with the AstraZeneca vaccine, the chance of anyone over the age of 60 developing a clot is about one6 per 100,000 people. Under the age of 60, it's about 2.6 per 100,000 people. But let me make a point to you. There's a drug that's used every day in hospitals everywhere. You would have had it. Anyone who's been into a hospital would have had this drug at some stage because it's, it's a drug called heparin that's used to flush cap, uh, catheters that are in your in your vein, or it's used as a subcutaneous injection to keep your blood thin, or sometimes an intravenous injection to keep your blood thin. Now, again, 
this this heparin, as I said, today, thousands of people around Australia would have been given heparin. Heparin can do exactly the same antibody immune platelet problem that we see with the AstraZeneca vaccine. The difference is when you give heparin, the rate is about one per 100 people, not one per 100,000 people, 1 1.6 per 100,000 people. And no one bats an eyelid about using heparin. Everyone gets it. It's the standard blood thinner used in hospitals. But there is this 1% chance of getting this paradoxic reaction where either the AstraZeneca vaccine or more commonly, much more commonly heparin, induces these antibodies that then attack platelets, which are the sticky little cells in the bloodstream. It attacks the platelets, makes them stickier, drops the number and causes clots. Now, this is so uncommon with AstraZeneca, pretty common with heparin, and it is quite easy to manage if you pick it up soon. We've had three alleged deaths from the AstraZeneca vaccine in Australia, one in a 48-year-old woman, one in a 51-year-old woman, and one in a 62-year-old woman, allegedly. But we don't. We, all we know is the 48-year-old was a diabetic. We don't know about the comorbid conditions in the other two people. But typically, when someone reacts badly in this way, they have some other comorbid conditions. So I'll give you an example. There's a relatively uncommon condition called anti-cardiolipin antibody syndrome, which is a very similar thing to this AstraZeneca-induced clotting syndrome. And, and that happens more commonly in women than men, which is why we're seeing more clots in women than we are in men, because typically they may have this condition without knowing it, then they're given the vaccine, then they get the, all the problems with clotting. So when, when I, I hear people say to me, oh, but I've had a bypass graft, or I'm on blood thinners, or I've had a clot in the past, therefore I shouldn't have AstraZeneca, wrong, wrong, wrong. I believe AstraZeneca is a slightly superior vaccine for people over the age of 60. And you'll say, hang on a minute, Ross, we're told Pfizer and Moderna are about 95% effective, but AstraZeneca is only about 80% effective. So therefore, Pfizer and Moderna are superior to AstraZeneca. Not true. What that effectiveness means is that if you've had a Pfizer vaccine, you've had double-shot Pfizer over three weeks or double-shot Moderna over four weeks, then you have still a 5% chance of getting a cold if you're exposed to COVID and a 5% chance of passing it on. You have about, with AstraZeneca, a 20% chance of getting a cold from COVID if you're fully vaccinated and a 20% chance of passing it on. But in terms of your own protection with either vaccine, you're not going to have severe COVID or die from COVID with either vaccine, whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, Novavax, J&J, it doesn't matter. But um, with, with AstraZeneca, when they looked at the, the immune response six months down the track, and the vaccines have only been around, used for about six or seven months clinically, they found a slightly better T-cell response, which is the long-term memory of your immune system to the vaccine or to infectious exposure or whatever. So it appears that AstraZeneca for older people gives you a slightly better immune response. And say, so, Bob, it Pfizer's better, blah, blah, blah. It's safer, you don't get the bad reactions. Well, let me say to you, four people per million who are given Pfizer, especially young men under the age of 30, have had a condition called myocarditis, where the heart gets inflamed. And that's probably harder to treat than the clots that you get from AstraZeneca. But all of these conditions are so rare. You've got a 32 times 
higher chance of being murdered than you have of having a reaction to the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I say to my patients, look, you had a much greater chance of dying in a car accident coming to see me today than you have of dying from the AstraZeneca vaccine. But you took the risk of coming to my practice because the problem is COVID, if you develop COVID without being vaccinated, it is much, much, much more dangerous than is a vaccination. And in fact, the clotting risk from COVID is probably about three people per 100, as opposed to the 1.6 per 100,000 clotting risk. So our big concern here is to stop COVID, whether it's the Delta strain, the UK strain, uh, the, the South African strain or the original strain, we don't want to get COVID. And the only way we're going to stop it is with a full and rapid vaccination program. I run the risk of you having a very aggressive response to this question, Ross. Um, That's a shock. But I, I'm going to have to ask it. What, what is your view on the, the Queensland medical chief who really laid into AstraZeneca mm. on the basis that, you know, she didn't want to see young people dying? Yeah. Yeah, and th this is absolute scaremongering nonsense. And I think it's really disappointing that a person in that position of responsibility can make such an outrageous comment with, with absolutely no evidence be, behind that comment. Let me make the point to you. If you give a young woman the oral contraceptive pill, they have a three times higher rate of developing a clot. Now, when that happens, they want to sue Bayer, who make Yaz, the common oral, oral contraceptive, for causing their clot. What they should be doing is suing their relatives for giving them one of the, the eight different uh, genetic clotting abnormalities that may lead to clotting. So, for example, the common ones are a thing called factor five laden. Now, why didn't we hear Jeanette Young coming out and saying, I don't want to see 18-year-old girls dying from clots, so therefore I'm not going to allow oral, oral contraceptives to be sold in Queensland? Because it's much more common to have a clot from the oral contraceptive pill because of a genetic clotting abnormality than it would ever be to have a clot from AstraZeneca. And, and I was quite happy when my 29-year-old daughter had her first AstraZeneca shot the other day because I want her to be vaccinated like I want all the people I love and care about to be vaccinated so we can get this dreadful virus out of the way. And I say dreadful because it's just affecting not just the health of people, but it's affecting society, it's affecting our economics, and also the really intense mental health issues come from people being locked down, not being able to see their friends and loved ones. That's, that's where we really have to start looking at this. And the only way to get out of it is vaccination. Ross, when you were talking about the, the threats from the South African, was it the Brazilian strain? Did you, did the, you know? the UK strain, the South African strain and the Brazilian strain, yep. Yeah. Um, now, I, I didn't know that the UK had, had a strain that was potentially as, as dangerous as South Africa or, or Brazil, but I wonder whether the, the strain's um, seriousness <clears throat> is linked to the associated death rates. And but in both South Africa and Brazil, I would think that the, the, the social distancing, the processes to fight the coronavirus would not be as good as you'd expect in a country like Australia where, you know, the technology is better, the, <clears throat> the education levels are better. Do, do those sorts of things ultimately have an, an effect on 
the assessment of whether something is dangerous or not? Because you, you often say that the, the actual flu that we get here every year is actually more deathly than COVID's proved to be. Oh, no, no, no. The, no. the original COVID had probably about a 3% death rate. Yeah. People had not been exposed to this particular virus before unless you'd had a lot. I mean, grandchildren are very good for, for us older people because they a, a third of the common cold is a, is a weak coronavirus. So once you've been exposed to that, then you have some cross antibodies to it. So that's why grandchildren are good. But most people were coronavirus naive, so their immune system just couldn't do anything about it and they were overwhelmed by it. Um, but you're absolutely correct, Peter. When you when your health system is not as robust as some other health system, so look at what's happening in India at the moment, where mm. where people still are getting severe disease and dropping like flies from COVID, and a part of that is is the fact that their their health system is being absolutely overwhelmed by by the amount of patients they can't deal with, whereas we, we've we've got thousands of intensive care beds in Australia and hardly any of them are filled with COVID patients. And so, and we have the ability to access the medicines used to treat COVID, whereas in places like South Africa and Brazil, there's many more people and the resources aren't as good. Yeah. So let's just talk about um, the, the actual allocation of vaccines. Um, and it seems to me that um, well, I know an example of, of someone who we both know, Dr. Theo Aroni, uh, very big practice, 3,000 patients a week. He sees 26 doctors work under him, and he was allocated 50 doses a week. Mm. Is this the failure of a public service process? Or, uh, look, or, look, when you think about bureaucrats and the way they've run this, you, you, who in the New South Wales Health Department, for example, thought it was an okay idea for an unvaccinated limo driver who wasn't wearing a mask to pick up people, uh, flight crews from overseas? I mean, you, you see the thinking of these people and you've got a practice like Theo's practice with thousands of patients a week coming in. Let's give him 50 doses of vaccine. It's just... Uh, I, Common sense, or so the the ability for people to demonstrate common sense, as has been said by many commentators, is unbelievably uncommon. It's just ridiculous the way that this rollout's gone. And I thought the government, uh, the the federal government and the New South Wales government up to this point have managed the whole thing pretty well until the vaccine rollout occurred. And I've been really disappointed how this is how this has occurred. I think I think Gladys has tried her hardest to set up the hubs here in, in Sydney and that's going pretty well. But again, the perception of the AstraZeneca vaccine with so many people, oh, it's not as good, I don't want to get it, I'm going to die, I'm going to have a clot. It's just such overdone nonsense when everyone should be saying, we want society to get back to normal. I don't particularly care what vaccine I get because AstraZeneca is a great vaccine, Pfizer is a great vaccine. There's some other vaccines coming towards the end of the year, but I'm certainly not waiting for them. I had my second shot of AstraZeneca yesterday, have had zero reactions to it whatsoever. Now, it is tragic, Peter, when anyone has a bad reaction to anything. But I've got to say to people, if you looked at the side effect rate of medications, you'd never take a pill. If you looked at the complication rate of operations, you'd never have an operation. And it's, it's, it's so much more likely someone's going to die when they have major surgery than it is of having a vaccination, which is going to prevent them from getting a disease that could kill them. So I, I just, it, it just, the whole thing beggars belief, but the way this is being managed and every day 
we have our sort of our Gladys fix of waiting for that 11 o'clock announcement. We're all whipped into a frenzy about these numbers. It's just got to stop. Ross, do you think um, the, the medical officers of Australia have been over-influenced by the political fear that politicians really are afraid to come out and say the AstraZeneca vaccine is not as dangerous as people are making out and it's more risky not to take AstraZeneca than to take it? Uh, look, I, I don't think so. I, I think the problem is that, that people just are being very reactive rather than proactive. And so there's, there's someone has a problem somewhere. Someone dies after getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. So it's, it's splashed out everywhere, this dangerous vaccine, and everybody starts pulling their head in. And, and I've got to say to you, Peter, half the calls I get on my radio show and half the emails I, I get sent to me are people saying, Doctor, I shouldn't have this dreadful AstraZeneca vaccine. I want the superior Pfizer vaccine. It's just really, uh, it's really irresponsible reporting by the press. And it's also, I think, excessive conservatism by the, the health office, officers around Australia giving the wrong message. And we've got to say, one of the chief health officers at the start of the pandemic said to the Australian public, we're going to see uh, something like 15 million cases and 150,000 deaths from COVID in this country. Really? Hmm. We saw, we've seen so far just over 30,000 cases and 912 deaths over 18 months. So this scaremongering is rife with health officers and with politicians. And you know what? What it does is give you bums on seats because if, if you've got Big Daddy looking after you, you feel safe and protected. And people have swallowed the Kool-Aid and, and uh, you know, oh, we're staying home, we're being very good and because we want to protect ourselves. And, and if you walk on the street without a mask, and, th and there is no logic wearing a mask outside. I can understand it inside, but there has not been one case of transmission around the world from anyone outside. It's always in enclosed spaces. COVID loves three things. It loves concentrated population. It loves um, air pollution and it loves long cold winter, which is why the Northern Hemisphere has copped it more than us, but we've gone into a coldish winter and that's where the virus has recrudesced. Also based on stupidity of bureaucrats allowing limo drivers to pick up people. Well, you think about last year, someone in the New South Wales Health Department saw, thought it was an okay idea to let all these infected people get off the Ruby Princess and circulate in the, in the community. I mean, it's just all silly mistakes made by silly people. Okay, so listen to you then, you may well have allayed a fear that I have, probably, probably uh, given to me by my occasional watching of the ABC, which I love, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm qualified to cope with the ABC. Yeah. Ross, um, um, I, I, I watch all these, well, you would have, knowing, knowing your history being a, a, a man who inexplicably, inexplicably played soccer, you would have watched or at least seen the, the, the game out of Europe, Italy versus England, and all these people in the stand with coronavirus still in, in, in London, was that dangerous having all those people to get all, because it's outside, it doesn't matter so much? Yeah, you see, I think what's happening in Australia compared to what's happening, say, in England has gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. And, and I, th I think we've still got to be cautious. I don't think any of us should be blasé about the virus, and we certainly should be all going out and getting vaccinated. But it doesn't mean we have to start 
going to, to situations where there are thousands of people at, at some sort of organisation, until we're all, uh, and this is what I'm going to say, I think we should all have a vaccine passport, an electronic vaccine passport, or if you're not electronically friendly, have a, have a certificate to show that you have been vaccinated, that you carry with you in your wallet or on your mobile phone, and then you can allow more, be allowed more freedoms, travelling, going to restaurants, going to major events, and if you're not vaccinated, you, you, that's your own personal choice, and I, I respect your right to make that choice. Totally disagree with it, but you're not allowed to do those things. You can't go to restaurants. You can't you can't go to major events. But I, I still think what we saw in the the Euro final was a bit over the top, and I still think with with COVID still causing something like twenty to thirty thousand cases in England every day, and up to two or three hundred deaths every day. I still think we there should be a bit more common sense than they're demonstrating there. Okay. So before we sign off, mate, just one last chance for you to tell people uh, who are afraid of the AstraZeneca vaccine what they really should know. Yeah. Stop being afraid of vaccination. It doesn't matter what vaccine's available in this country. I'm not a great supporter of the Russian vaccine or the, the Chinese vaccine, which are weaker versions of the AstraZeneca vaccine, but we have two very good vaccines available at the moment. If you're younger than 60, you get the, the Pfizer vaccine if you choose to, but it's going to be a bit of a longer wait. If you're over 60, certainly AstraZeneca, in my view, is probably a better vaccine for people over the age of 60. But the risk of vaccination is absolutely minimal. It's so rare, I wouldn't even think about it. But the risk of COVID is still there, and we're not going to get life back to normal until we're all vaccinated. Okay, and one last thing. Are there any people with any condition that you would say be cautious of AstraZeneca? Oh, yeah. I'll just give you a couple of quick examples. Um, there is a condition called anaphylaxis, which is a type 1 allergic response where your airway closes over, your face swells, you get severe, um, what we call laryngospasm. And, and some people get that more with Pfizer than they do with AstraZeneca. But I've had a couple of people ring my radio segment saying my sister got anaphylaxis for, from AstraZeneca. So therefore, the next dose should be Pfizer. I've got, a, I've got a patient who's also a mate of mine in his 60s who had the AstraZeneca vaccine about five or six weeks ago, had a severe skin reaction where he broke out in this dreadful rash. And, I've, and he's diabetic and had bypass surgery. And I said, no, you should have Pfizer next. And mind you, having AstraZeneca first and Pfizer second has been shown in a big study out of Oxford to give you the best immune response. That's probably the best combo. But just at the moment, there's not enough Pfizer yet to go around, although SCOMO is bringing it in in the next week. We're getting a million doses a week. So those people should be having Pfizer rather than AstraZeneca. But a young man, less than 30, there's a higher rate of getting of getting a myocarditis than there is of getting uh, the, the clotting with the AstraZeneca. But there are some very, very specific clotting abnormalities, this anti-cardiolipin antibody syndrome, when I think someone should have Pfizer over AstraZeneca, but it's very unusual. Mm -hmm. So if someone's had a recurrent history of clots and they're positive for this anti-cardiolipin antibodies, sure, have Pfizer. And I had a patient ring my radio show a couple of months ago, and he had a very rare condition called thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, which is very similar to the AstraZeneca-induced thing. And I said, told, told him, you should have Pfizer. So I wrote a letter for him. He went to Prince Alfred and he got the Pfizer vaccine. And there's also another condition, which is not that rare, 
called idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, where your platelets are low, but you have more chance of bleeding. And some rare cases of AstraZeneca have made that worse as well. So there's, there's only some very, very specific indications to have Pfizer over AstraZeneca. So it seems to me that if you know you have a, a, a potentially threatening condition, you should consult your doctor before yep. you actually decide which one you go for. Yeah, but the point is, people are saying, I'll wait till we get more evidence. I'll wait till, say, Novavax comes in in November, December. The more we wait, the more we're going to have to put up with these ridiculous lockdowns. And personally, I'm against the lockdown. I think there should be a lockdown in the areas where there have been cases and everyone else should be able to go about their business in a safe, socially distanced, hand-washing, masked way. But I just don't believe... 5 million people should be locked down because of breakouts in certain areas. I just think because you want to go to Byron Bay, Ross, that's probably the main reason for that argument. Don't don't rub that in. Please do <laughs> rub that in. I won't even go there. <laughs> I know you won't go there. I and will this go there if I'm given the chance, though, I've got to say. Ross <laughs> Walker, uh, thanks for joining us on the program. My pleasure, mate. And if the persuasive and informative style of Dr. Ross Walker excites you, go to switzer.com.au where he writes a regular column for everyone out there who wants to know what's going on in the life and medical world that we all live in. And finally, if you're looking to make some money, have a look at my Switzer Investing Program, which comes out on Mondays and Thursdays. Go to our YouTube channel, just put in Switzer Investing. It'll bob up. And also try um, going to the report itself, the Switzer Report at switzerreport.com.au, where you'll get a lot of really good uh, looks at some fantastic stocks that are worth considering. No advice, mind you, just considering. Education, not advice. That's the program for this week. Talk to you next week. Quentin time! Quentin time! Quentin time!